0: Now look at the church and it's so fractured. It seems like people are fighting over the stupidest stuff. It seems like there's so much disunity among Christians, in ministries, in churches. Paul tells us how it's possible. Look at verse 2. Paul gives us three ways. He points out three foundations that must be present if unity is to be possible. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are the subpoints and I want to look at each one of those briefly. The first foundation we have uh, for unity is humility. And Paul here is saying that grace produces humility. Remember, chapters 1 through 3, Paul's working out all this great theology of the doctrines of grace, and Paul says the first result of that is it should make you a humble person. And if God's grace, friends, is not leading you to humility, then you have missed something. You have missed something central to the gospel, central to the doctrines of grace. And you know the funny thing? The funny thing is, is often when we start to understand uh, theology, all those things that we've talked about in in chapters 1-3, through three, you know, redemption and adoption and the fact that we were raised to new life and the whole dividing wall and all that that means for us. Oftentimes, when we start to understand a little bit of theology, it leads people to arrogance and to pride. And we actually look at ourselves and see ourselves as better than other people and that causes divisions. In the body of Christ. You have seen that work its way out. Isn't the the application here obvious and how humility leads to unity? Because think about it. If you're always seeing yourself as less than the other person, seeing other people as better than yourselves, it really does away with the pettiness, doesn't it? It does. And here's the thing. You can't fake it. You can't fake humility. Friends, people can see false humility from a mile away. And the question I want to ask you tonight is, is your theology or whatever you believe about God, whatever you believe about the Bible or Christianity, is it leading you to humility, to brokenness over what Christ has done for you through the gospel? Or is it leading you to pride and to arrogance? The second thing we see, the foundation. The first one is humility. The second foundation of unity is gentleness. That word's also translated oftentimes meekness. What does it mean to be meek or gentle? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean weakness. And that's what oftentimes people think when they hear gentleness or meekness. It's not weakness because to be gentle means that you have incredible strength. Think of it this way. here's, Pretend someone insults you, throws an insult at you, or criticizes you. A weak or insecure person lashes out or seeks revenge from that person. A weak person is always insecure. And if you insult them in any way, they're crushed. They're absolutely crushed because all their worth, all their hope, all their identity is in what other people think of them. But what about the person who's deeply rooted in the gospel? That's deeply rooted in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians. They can respond with gentleness because they are not easily crushed By every criticism it's not the end of the world if someone disagrees with them because they are firmly rooted in Jesus and what he thinks of them and who he says that they are so much so that they are actually able to approach the person that despises them with gentleness and meekness the first foundation of unity is humility the second one is gentleness. And thirdly, patience. Look there with me. That word patience literally means long-tempered. Are you long-tempered? Are you patient? Are you quick to point out someone's thoughts or their shortcomings? Let me ask you a couple of questions. How do you respond to the student in the class that always seems to not get the material? that is always asking all the questions and never seems to get what the professor uh, is saying? Do you respond with patience? Or do you, in your heart, just write them off as ignorant and stupid as someone that can't get it? What about your friend that never seems to say the right thing at the right time? Are you quick to call them out in front of everyone else to make them look silly or stupid? And make them feel insecure about who they are? What about the person that's not doing well spiritually? That may be struggling with their faith. Whether they, they're doubting whether Christianity is even uh, for real or true. What do you do to them? Are you patient with them? The one that's struggling maybe with the sin or whatever. Or are you quick to, to just tell them to just get over it. And you just give up on them. And move on. To the next person. You know most of the time. And myself included friends. We are so quick. To point out other people's shortcomings. And we fail to see our own. Our own. The subtle sins. That are deep in our heart. Of irritability. Impatience. Resentment. And bitterness. And friends. Those are just as ungodly. In God's sight. And we need to deal with them. On a deep level. If we are ever going to experience unity in our midst. Alright, let's move on. The second way we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling is through serving other people. And through serving the body of Christ. Look there at verse 7. Paul says that grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what Paul is saying here is that each one of us has been given a gift in order to build up the church. And in order to accomplish and perform the task that God has called us to. And then look at verses 8-10. through Paul says something that's pretty strange. I don't know, at first glance, it seems kind of odd. And some think... Uh, this verse is 8 through 10. In Ephesians, particularly 8 and 9. That Jesus went to hell. Went down to hell and preached the gospel there. But I don't think that's what it means. Some of you might have heard an interpretation like that. I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. Because Paul mentions Psalm sixty-eight eighteen. If you have your Bible and you have references in your Bible, you'll see a reference in Ephesians Eight, I think it is, or nine, to Psalm sixty-eight, verse eighteen. We don't have time to turn there now. But what Paul is doing in Ephesians is he's taking a line, taking a line from that psalm, and he's applying it to Christ. And what Paul is getting at here in eight and in verses eight and nine is similar to what he does in Philippians chapter two when he talks about incarnation or the fact that Jesus came down out of heaven became a man died on the cross as a criminal for you and me that's what we call Christ his hum, uh, humiliation humiliation he was humiliated for you and me but there's a flip side to that there's also what's called his exaltation and that's when Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he rules and reigns over his people. He gives them his enabling grace in order to accomplish his purposes in the world, to build up the church and strengthen the church. But you know what else he does? He gives gifts to his people as he's ruling and reigning. He gives gifts to build up the church and strengthen it. Then he goes on in verses 11 and 12, and he lists a few gifts. Now, obviously, that that Christ gives his people, that's obviously not a complete list of the gifts. Because y'all know uh, that there are more gifts, but but that's not Paul's point. Paul's point here is not to give you every spiritual gift and say, Okay, find out which one you are. And then go do it. Paul's point is that every single one of you, if you're a Christian tonight, has been given a gift to build up the church. No one has been excluded. And for some of you, that could be the best news you've heard all night. Because some of you think that you have absolutely nothing to offer. You walk in here and you feel like, how can I do anything To help Christ in building up the church and accomplishing his task in the world. And Paul says, You've been given a gift to build up the church, figure out what that is, and go use it. And friends, let me just say that that is one of the uh, things, the goals that I want to see more than anything in RUF. I want you to find and want this ministry to help you find your unique gift and go use it. Because we believe that every person is a minister that, is, that can help build up the church. Our desire is to strengthen every student and help equip them and encourage them to find their gifts so that this ministry, so that this campus, and so that ultimately the church... Benefits And some of you say, well, Jason, how in the world? I don't know what my gift is. I have no clue how I go about finding it. Well, some of you automatically think a spiritual gifts test. And spiritual gifts tests are okay. I'm not crazy about them. Because I think the downside of spiritual gifts tests is that a lot of times you kind of, that test works itself out to whatever you're going through at the moment. You know what I mean by that? Let's say you're going on a missions trip this summer and you were to take a spiritual gifts test and you're sharing your faith every day. You know, you're bringing people to Christ. You're out on the missions field and you take a spiritual gifts test. Which one, which spiritual gift do you think you're probably going to show up? Evangelism. Here's a better way to find your spiritual gift. Find a friend, find someone who knows you well. And has seen you in ministry and sit down with them over a cup of coffee or in the food court. And say, hey, what am I good at? What what do you think my spiritual gifts are? Here's another way to find out. It's to simply get involved. Get involved and start serving. Do you know how you can do that? What burdens you about RUF? What weaknesses do you see? That in RUF, that really grip your heart, chances are that is Christ awakening a gift in you. We've got a ministry team. We would love for you to come be a part of our ministry team and serve in some capacity in our ministry. Here's another way. What do you enjoy doing? <laughs> Imagine that. Ministry is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to enjoy it. Yes. Chances are whatever you enjoy doing is a gift that God's given you. What do you enjoy doing outside the church? Outside of RUF. It's probably something that can be used to serve and build up the church. Worthy living in the kingdom involves using your gifts to serve and build up the body of Christ. God has called this ministry to be about Bringing glory and fame and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus on this campus. And in order for that to happen, every single one of us has to get involved in ministry. Using the gifts that God has given us. Okay, so we've seen that worthy living involves pursuing unity. It involves... um, Serving others and serving the body of Christ. And thirdly, and finally, we see that it it involves growing in maturity. Look at verses 13 through 16. Paul's definition of maturity is really very simple. Don't be a child, grow up. That's his definition of maturity. And then he says that if you're a child, look there in those verses, you're tossed by every wind of doctrine. It reminds me of my daughter, Kate. Uh, she often, you know, she'll come to me and she'll say, Daddy, this is what I want for lunch. And she'll be very specific. I want yogurt. I want, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so I'll get those things for her. And then I'll get my lunch. It will be something different and better. And so we'll sit down and she's eating and she sees my food and she says, I want that she goes i don't want this anymore i want what you've got that's what paul is saying here he's he's saying that describes an immature believer they are fickle they're unstable they're gullible they're easily influenced by the latest preacher the latest fad or the latest book some of you've been there i know some of you 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 understand what it means to be tossed around Because that describes you. And you've gotten so tired of it and so frustrated and so worn out that you've just basically given up. You've just stopped searching. And you've given up on this whole Christianity uh, bit. Secondly, we see that Paul says the answer, though, is to be found this way. Speaking the truth in love. How do you grow up? Paul says... That you have to have someone involved in your life that is able to speak into it and tell you who you really are. Do you have the guts? When was the last time that you've had the guts to ask someone to sit down with you and ask them this question? How do I come across to others? What do others say when I'm not around? What do they say about me? And you think you know the answer already, but friends, you don't. (laughs) No one is their best judge. We're all our worst judge. There's nobody that's objective about themselves. That's why we need each other. That's why we need community. We need the body of Christ. We need a safe place where we can do that. Who's seen the movie Anger Management? Anybody seen Anger Management? great movie it's jack nicholson and adam sandler and jack nicholson plays this psychologist adam sandler is dealing with anger issues and dr rydell who's played by jack nicholson uh, points out dave who is sandler his tendencies and his failures in dealing with his anger and he says dave there are two types of you know angry people in the world you got the implosive And the explosive. The explosive is the person who you see just going off, screaming at the cashier. You might remember this part of the movie. Just going off on the cashier because they won't take their coupon. And then the implosive is actually the cashier who takes it day after day and remains quiet and just stuffs it down. And then one day she can't take it anymore and she just opens fire and guns everybody in the store down. And he looks at Dave and he says you're the cashier. And Dave says no way I'm not. I promise. I swear I'm not. I'm the guy in the frozen food section dialing 911 trying to get help. And so you get the point. No one is objective about themselves. We're either way too hard on ourselves or we give ourselves way too much credit. And if we're ever going to be spiritually mature We've got to get a word from the outside. Are you doing that? Are you willing to do that? How do you speak the truth in love? Well, typically people fall on two emphases. You've got the truth people who are always in the people's face about what they're doing wrong and calling them out uh, after everything. And those are the people that actually... Are pushing other people away. Because friends, nobody's ever going to listen to you if you're going to speak into their lives unless they first know that you love them and that you're committed to them and that you're with them for the long haul. Then you've got the, the love people who are on the other side who are just so scared to ever confront anybody and speak truth to them because they're fearful that the person's not going to like them after that or that the relationship is suddenly going to uh, be torn apart. Do you see now why it's so profound that in the book of John, in the first chapter, John says that Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of love and truth, because it's at the cross that we have the ultimate confrontation The ultimate truth speaking, if you will. Because it's at the cross that we see that Jesus had to die in order to speak the truth of God's holy law. But in the very same act, we see the ultimate act of love. Because we know that it's by the grace that comes from Jesus' blood that we are actually able to have life. Now... Over the next few weeks, and tonight, some of you are going to be overwhelmed at this call to worthy living. But let me remind you, and I'm going to remind you often, the order is everything in Christianity. That is, The order is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Because every other religion says that doing establishes your being. Live by these principles, and you'll be wise. Follow these rules, and you'll obtain perfection. And Christianity turns that on its head, and does the complete opposite. And says, no, 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 no. It is your being that establishes your doing. That's what we see all throughout Scripture. We see it in Romans, we see it in Colossians, we see it here in this book, remember, Chapters 1 through 3, God, through His grace, has created a new relationship between you and God. Now, verse chapter 4, go live in a manner worthy of your calling. Live a life consistent with what God has done. Friends, if you reverse the order which some of you are doing, if you make the foundation of your Christian life about doing You're going to be one miserable person. You're going to hate Jesus. You're going to hate Christianity. You're going to want to throw in the towel because you're never ever going to be able to feel secure in Jesus and in God's love for you. And you're constantly going to be trying to build your life, your Christian life, on slavish fear of just wondering when you're going to mess up and afraid that He's going to zap you when you do. That is someone who builds their life on doing, not on being. There's others of you that are wondering why you fail so often. You say, Jason, i got chapters 1 through 3. I've heard it all my life. You insist that this is old news and that you've heard it all before. But then you wonder why you fail consistently. Have you really heard it all before? Have you missed something? Perhaps the problem is that you haven't lived in chapters 1 through 3 long enough to even understand, much less appropriate, chapters 4 through 6. Friends, if we're ever going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we've got to drink deeply of God's grace. We've got to drink deeply of chapters 1 through 3 in Ephesians. I hope you never forget that as you live the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, help us. Our tendency is to make the Christian life about doing. But Father, it's really the complete opposite. It is about who you are, who you've made us to be, and what you're doing in our life. Father, we need your help. We want to be... uh, a group that walks in a manner worthy of our calling. We want to pursue unity. Grow in serving the body of Christ. in growing in maturity. Lord we don't want to be tossed around by every wave or wind of doctrine. We want to be people who have such honest and open community. That we are able to speak the truth in love. And Lord I pray for that. I pray that people would... Feel safe here uh, to be who they are and to be real with one another. Would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen.